Jeez. It seems like every time I turn around, you're giving them another exam. Yeah, well, it's all part of the job. Stephanie! 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 Oh my god, Stephanie! No! Well, if it isn't the fun couple, ignore him, it's brain damage, or it would be if he had one. Karen, I really need to get on that bathroom! What happened to good old Lisa? I thought you were the one that said we should see other people. I didn't think you'd run off and find someone to take my place. God damn it, no one took your place. Do you have to say fuck with everything? This fucking early, this fucking creeping, with this fucking hangover, you better bet your fucking life I say fucking with every fucking thing. The killer's gotten three girls, and nobody's seen him, and nobody's heard him. Maybe it's time we went looking for him. Are you serious? Where was Ernie when Sheila was killed? Let's have the rest of the story, son. Well, he was trying to make it with her, but he couldn't get it up. She got pissed and tossed him out on his cookies. Has anybody else seen this Kramer kid hanging around any of the other girls? Jeff wouldn't do anything like this. Take it easy, Lisa. If he was the last person to see Stephanie alive, you know he's a suspect. Hi, this is Hazel Tanksy from Voodoo Massacre, and you are listening to the Hysteria Continues. And indeed you are. Yes, welcome back to the Hysteria Continues. And we're heading up to the big 300, 300th episode is coming up and we'll be letting you know what we'll be covering on that momentous occasion. Uh, but it's before, also going to be our 13th birthday. <gasps> yeah, so we're all, everything comes at once, as it were. So, um, but yes, this time uh, for 299, we are covering the, is it 1987 or 1988? I got 88 from my research. Yes, I think uh, I think it's released in 88 and filmed in 87. But we're covering um, the milestone in slasher movie history, um, often neglected. And unfortunately, I don't think this has ever seen a digital release. So all those boutique labels out there, what are you doing? Because this classic is languishing in the VHS bargain bin. And of course, we're talking about the classic, the one and only Fatal Pulse. Um, which I think it goes without saying is this is a Nathan pick, isn't it? I mean, of course it is. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm glad you played that because we don't hear that at all in the movie. Nope. I, I'm going to play it every time you speak, Nathan, because it's it signifies uh, whenever you're on 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 the show. Mark, you comparing me to him? Kinda, yeah. I did. I said I said Nathan is Mark. <laughs> I would say, Nathan, if you were being beaten up by an angry mob, I'd come and help you, unlike uh, Jeff in this film, who just runs away. Yeah, I mean, he lets his friend get beat up. Uh, yes, yes, we'll be covering, this is uh, Fatal Pulse, which, um, thank you, Nathan. <laughs> How are you doing, Nathan, today? Uh, I'm doing all right, you know. Uh, woke up and uh, took the dogs out from their uh, morning break and... Now I'm in here ready to record. Yes. Well, it sounds like the perfect Sunday. Yes. So, uh, excellent. And Eric, uh, we haven't recorded for a little while, have we? No. Since, because it's obviously, this is our first show that we've recorded in uh, the new year, 2024. So happy new year to everyone who's listening. Um, did uh, Santa empty a sack for you, Eric? Uh, I guess he had something to do. He had something else to do. Oh, dear. Mm. Well, maybe next year, Eric. Maybe. I was so good all year. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> what? So, so, but anyway, you had. Uh, how are you doing? No, I'm okay. Well, I know you've been. Um, your your all your Christmases came at once when uh, when you realised we were covering Fatal Pulse, of course. So, uh, Joseph, um, how are you doing? I'm actually doing very well. I had a very good holiday. Um, I, I didn't really get much in the way of gifts or anything, but I had. Let's just say a very interesting uh, Christmas and New Year's. Um, I don't know. I'm just feeling pretty good today. So ready to talk about uh, Fatal Pulse, I guess. But I feel pretty good about it. Excellent. Okay. Well, I'm glad to hear that. So, uh, well, let's see. We've had a little while, so since, as I just mentioned, uh, since we recorded last. So hopefully we've had a, a chance to catch up with a few things. So, Eric, uh, did you... Get any nope. nice shiny Blu-rays? No, nothing. I didn't get any Blu-rays for Christmas this year. No, I did buy. Oh, I did buy myself the Man Who Wasn't There, which is a new 3D Blu-ray, which is a 1983 film uh, produced by Paramount. So it was the same kind of people who had produced Friday the Thirteenth Part Three, but this is a invisibility uh, slash comedy um, that uh, stars Steve Gutenberg and Lisa Langlois, of course, from uh, Happy Birthday to Me. Is that what she's in? Um, so, yeah, it's it's comedy in the broadest sense of the word. The comedy involves the bad guys uh, bumping into each other as they're trying to chase the good guys and falling over and with hilarious consequences. So it, it is kind of Police Academy-ish. Uh, but the 3D is kind of fun. Uh, the effects waver from halfway decent to really, really bad. I mean, you can totally see wires suspending things in midair to give that invisibility effect. Um, and I imagine that even on a VHS print, you probably would have seen those wires as well because they are glaringly obvious. But I mean, the I just am a, such a sucker for 3D, I had to get it. So it's been restored by the 3D Film Archive, uh, who've done a lot of work on restoring sort of 50s and early 80s uh, 3D movies. And they've done a good job on this one. Uh, it has a great opening sequence uh, opening credit sequence which is kind of similar to uh friday the 13th part three with the the credits coming out of the screen so yeah that i saw that and i saw the only other thing horror related well i watched a couple of action movies i watched the first two die hard films which i hadn't seen since the first since they were yep. in theaters um, me too yeah. christmas time yeah, because everyone's going on about how they're Christmas movies now. I I would have seen them probably in, I you know, there was a delay between their US release and their uh, UK slash Ireland release back in the day. So I never um, really classed them as Christmas movies, but uh, they definitely are, yeah. Particularly part two, which is very, very snowy. I thought they were a lot of fun. And I watched Blue Steel for the first time, starring Jamie Lee Curtis. <gasps> yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, now, I was reading, uh, I think... Siskel or Ebert, or one of them said that it was kind of like Halloween. Now, I didn't really get that vibe. It's kind of just a nasty serial killer type movie. I thought Ron Silver was terrific in it as this um, really quite insane uh, Wall Street banker who begins to become obsessed with both guns and Jamie Lee Curtis's character. So, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Really stylishly directed. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis looks so young in it. I mean, it's... What thirty four years old now? I suppose so. Yeah, she would have been in her in her. She would have been about thirty, I think, when she made this. So, uh, yep, that was a uh, one I'd been meaning to catch up with for a very long time, and uh, glad I did. So I enjoyed that. But as for straight up horror, I haven't seen anything apart from the horror tastic Fatal Pulse, of course. You know, Blue Steel could kind of maybe be shoehorned into the show, maybe possibly. Yeah, 
Yeah. Okay. Well. Okay. Well. Thank you, Eric. Uh, so that you had an action-packed Christmas. I'm glad to hear it. Action-packed. Yes. yes, indeed. So, uh, Joseph, how about you? Nothing really to talk about. You know, like Eric, I watched the first two Die Hards. I watched uh, Home Alone one and two, um, and I did watch Black Christmas as I do every year. And you know, I um, I my bucket list is to do a commentary for Black Christmas. So I'm not going to say anything else about it. I really want it to be physical media commentary, but if not, I. I am compiling thoughts, and I have been for years on that movie for a commentary for Patreon. So, yeah, I watched that during Christmas, but I haven't watched anything new. I can't really think if I did or not. So, you guys go ahead with whatever you watched. Okay. Well, thank you anyway. And uh, Nathan, how about you? Well, um, like the guys, I haven't really watched anything new. I did rewatch It's a Wonderful Knife, and I liked it even more the second time around. Um, uh, I still have issues with um, the left-fieldedness of the finale part. It's just a little crazy to me, but I still love the movie, love the characters, uh, love that true love wins. You know, that's always a good thing. Hey, Nathan, um, did we not just have an insurrection attempt a couple years back, and you call that... Um, you don't, you don't know if you believe the ending to that movie? <laughs> well, I mean, no, 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 no. Like that's different. That's a little <laughs> well, not different much. from, um, I mean, it just, the movie gets a little weird. Um, yeah, I, I see what you're talking but, about. But yeah. yeah, I still, uh, really enjoyed it. So I thought to myself, you know, the director's pre, one of the director's previous movies is uh, tragedy girls. And I did not like it whatsoever when I first watched it. So I decided to give it a rewatch. So, I'm going to let you guys know the positives that I feel about the movie. And that is that I think the actors all did an admirable job. Oh dear. So you didn't, it didn't improve for you with age. No, I mean, it's to me the equivalent of hanging out with a couple of teenage girls who uh, are on their phones the whole time and rolling their eyes and are just so over it. Are you talking about Eric? Eric <laughs> is worth 10 of those tragedy girls. Tragedy girls, yeah. If they were cut up into pieces, maybe. <gasps> I'm an awesomeness boy. <laughs> the tragedy was the film, I'm sad to say. But hey, he proved big time with It's a Wonderful Knife, so, you know. I was reading Rue Morgue's uh, review of It's a Wonderful Knife, and they, they were, they, I think the just paraphrasing it, they said it, for the first two thirds it was a five star movie, and then it said it was totally ruined by the twist and towards the end. It's kind of like how you feel, although you're you're a bit more forgiving because uh, they said it, like the the ending completely ruined the film for them. I didn't feel that at all. I thought it was a great. No, movie. me I either. mean, uh, it didn't ruin. It's just I don't know. It was just a little odd to me, and it felt. Um, it didn't feel like a natural progression. Like, I feel like, I don't know, felt like somebody pulled that out of a hat. Okay. Well, any anything else, Nathan? Uh, no, just the incredible Fatal Pulse. Yes, in inverted commas. Um, so, well, thank you, Nathan. We'll be coming on to that uh, shortly. But I'll just kind of mention a few of the things uh, I watched. Um, I had the absolute pleasure to... Uh, Spend New Year's Eve with Amanda Reyes and her lovely husband uh, who came over to Lanzarote and we uh, had the pleasure to show them around the island uh, and we spent New Year's Eve together. Um, we probably would have chosen something slightly more 80s but we were with uh, um, 
uh, two other friends who just watched The Strange Case of Natalia Grace. And if you guys have heard about that, the Showtime documentary. Have you guys heard of that? No. Is that the um, – she's the one who um, – who murdered her mother or stepmother or something by no she, that's i know who you're talking about that's um i can't remember the name now but she's she's just been released hasn't she from prison now this one is um is a thing that it was bizarre because it's it looks like it was what inspired the orphan the movie the orphan it's about a uh a, oh, a, a young yeah the, i know what you're talking about okay. yeah a young girl who's got um uh dwarfism i can guess i don't know what the right term is but she um uh, gets adopted from ukraine and she gets adopted by an american family and they basically try and get rid of her because she gets on saying she wants to kill them and she kind of hides <laughs> knives around the house well you, you can kind of understand <laughs> well yes but i won't give it away but it's quite twisty or turny but the weird thing is this happened they adopted her the year after the orphan came out which ah. was based on another movie so our friends wanted to watch the orphan and they realized they had seen it so we actually sat down to watch Orphan First Kill, which is the prequel to The Orphan. Uh, so, And um, when they went home, because they went home before midnight, uh, me and Amanda did watch loads of 80s uh, slasher trailers to welcome in the new year. So, uh, yes, yeah, so that was, a, uh, that was a lot of fun. So uh, shout out to Amanda if you're listening and uh, longtime friends and collaborator on the show. So, um, so that was, that was uh, great. And a few other bits... Uh, I've kind of watched and reviewed on Hysteria Lives. Um, I've just reviewed the German German slasher flashback uh, from the year two thousand, um, which uh, is a kind of which is a slightly bizarre one because I mean I've I've kind of gone through like the schools out movies and there's a, the anatomy movies uh, um, which were probably the biggest sl- uh, slasher hits in Germany that kind of post scream uh, roster. Uh, there's obviously also the Paul as well, which I reviewed uh, not that long ago. But flashback kind of is an odd one because it's um it's based on a script by Jimmy Sangster who did um who wrote for Hammer and did a lot of those kind of post psycho movies. So uh, I found out researching it that although it's often credited to him, it's actually based on an old script of his. So uh, he didn't really have much to do with the finished film at, at, at all. But it's um uh, it's a typical story of uh, teens being stalked by a sickle wielding maniac. Uh, it also has um, Elkie Summer in it who was in um, some of the Mary Barth films like uh, Baron oh. Blood uh, and oh, oh, oh. <laughs> what, and do you Lisa like Elkie Summer? Yes. You probably well I'm not saying you wouldn't like her in this but she's she's <laughs> she's um she's uh, her name in this is Frau Lust. All right. Well she's El- Elkie Summer is the person who Where says this. Where do you this. come from? From a cunt. You jerk. That's Elkie Summer. Yeah, she's fucking hot too. I don't care if she's got a potty mouth. She's hot. actually that makes it even better. <laughs> but uh, your flashbacks a weird one because it also has like bizarre German comedy, which I'm sure there are some funny German films out there. I must admit, I'm not sure if I've seen any of them. And this one has some very broad Germanic farce in it, which kind of sits a bit odd with the slasher action. But in- hey, Justin, watch it. You know the Germans. If you don't join the party, they'll come get you. <gasps> well, I'm not sure if we. Well, I'm sure we do have some German listeners. Maybe, maybe well, that was a Family Guy reference. Is it? Well, or... I wouldn't get that, would I? <laughs> <laughs> but yes, so that's one we may be covering uh, not too di- not too distant future. Um, a couple of others, just quickly mention was um, the Swedish slasher feed, um, which uh, came out was a couple of years. Well, it was a year and a half or so old now from 2022. Uh, about um, a group of young influencers who go to a eco resort, uh, and there's an island and a lake um, set up with this kind of luxury glamping, 
and uh, they get trapped on the island uh, and there's a legend of a witch who uh, drowned herself on the island 400 years ago and was encased in a metal mask with a bell on it so um, everyone could hear her coming with this jingle and so it's kind of like you don't know if it's supernatural or it's um, or the, the witch is actually a person that's very Scooby-Doo-esque uh, but given the fact that it's on my site, it may give you uh, um, an idea. But yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, it's not released. I don't think it's released anywhere in England or the US at the moment, but hopefully it will be soon. Uh, so, um, but uh, yeah, it kind of bizarrely, when I've published it on his serialist Facebook page, it's got like a million views or a million interactions on there, which is bizarre. I've never had that before. And I've just got, and then spent most of Christmas trying to ban spammers posting watch this uh watch this link does anyone ever click on those links when it says watch this film now no no god no, no. of course not who who in their right mind would but so it was that the only other one i mentioned quickly is one i've been meaning to catch up with and i hadn't and more fool me was the the kind of remake or kind of reimagining i kind of guess um of the uh slumber party massacre from a few years ago uh the screen factory remake was shot in south africa uh, I wasn't. I didn't know what to expect with this, but it was kind of more of like a deconstruction of the original rather than a straight remake. And I won't spoil what happens, but it certainly takes the template of the original to some degree and more or less kind of acts out the beginning Sunder Party Massacre in the first 10 minutes of the movie and then shoots forward 20 years. And then you have the daughter of the, the, the girl who escaped uh, coming and seemingly accidentally come, ends back up in the same lakeside um, vacation uh, sort of area with her friends, and uh, the killings start again. So I didn't know what to expect with this, but it's incre- it's 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 one of those movies that's just like very, very inventive, very funny, um, and very very gory as well. And I thought it was really good. I was surprised how good it was. So I gave it a good review on Hysteria Lives. Yeah, I don't, you know, a lot of people were kind of trashing on it. I don't think so. I thought it was really good. Very, very, very well done, especially for something that was released to sci-fi over here. Mm-hmm. It's far more, far better than the usual sci-fi fare. Go say that movie. It's a good movie. I was very like that. I did like the, the guy who played the killer looks very much like the original killer. Yeah, he does. But he's also got like a really squeaky voice as well, which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> so... <laughs> Eric, if you if you watched it, I haven't seen it yet. No, no, no I think you like does it. Sound good, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think you'd like it, especially. I mean, if you like the kind of the newer, kind of more tricksy slashers of late, the last four or five years, then um, it's definitely along those lines. So I think you'd quite enjoy it. Cool. So okay, well that's um, all our recently seen. So um, we have coming up. Nathan will bring us in and tell us why he loves Fatal Pulse, and we'll find out if he is a lone voice. In that matter. So, what do we have in the way of um, introduction for this? Is there a trailer? Oh, you know what? Um, I haven't gotten around to that yet. I've got everything else except the trailer, but you'll hear something. Ten little coeds jumping in and out of bed. One got caught and lost her head. Now, the countdown begins. Al, is that you? As step by step, weapon by weapon, each 
beautiful victim meets a gruesome end. And soon, there will be only one. Not since the cold-blooded terror of Nightmare on Elm Street or the sadistical chills of Friday the 13th has any film matched the power, the horror, the madness. Fatal Pulse. The beat goes on. <laughs> Couldn't resist, Nathan. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I figured that was going to happen at some point. I just wasn't sure exactly when. Hmm. First, there were ten little sorority girls. Then there was one. Who's responsible for the horrific murders of beautiful young co-eds? Circumstantial evidence points to Jeff, a handsome teaching assistant who's dating Lisa. But it might be Ernie, the tormented Vietnam War vet who owns the sorority house. Or could it be someone else? In shock and disbelief, Lisa watches as the nude bodies of her sorority sisters are found by the police one by one by one. One girl is cut up and pushed out a window. Another is sadistically tortured. And yet a third is suffocated by a concrete facial. When will this madness end? And what sadistic killer is behind it? Fatal pulse. If your pulse is fatal, you may already be dead. So most of that was the back of the VHS box, except for that last line. I threw that in. (gasps) You should be in marketing. Thank you. Um, so Fatal Pulse is one I usually it's it's the VHS artwork that I remember as a kid because it's got this woman, uh, you know, kind of with her hand up to her face and there's eyeballs in her hand, which don't really make a lot of sense. If you watch the film, um, there's nothing really like that in there, but I think it's a really cool image and kind of haunting, you know, um, and she's got really big hair, which I know Eric likes. Mm. So with Fatal Pulse, uh, several things that I love, uh, number one being the opening music, which we will be playing out with, by the way, because I love it so much. I can vouch for this. I was Nathan's roommate yeah, for a time. I, I, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. I like it and I would listen to it. Um, so um, let's see. A few other things I really love in the film. Uh, number one is I love Carol's hair. Agreed. And, and, you know, y'all will definitely know who it is by, you know, the hair. Plus, she's got the great death scene with the record, although I don't know how that would work. But, I mean, maybe if her neck was made of wax, you know, maybe maybe that's, you know, um, what worked. But I love when the killer's kind of descending on her and she just kind of very half-heartedly pushes this little folding chair over <laughs> to kind of block <laughs> his way, I guess. Um, and like Eric was saying earlier, I love the scene where Jeff's friend, um, you know, comes to help him and Jeff lets him get beat up while he runs off, which I thought was really good. I love the uh, scene with the one girl, with the ballet, or it's like an interpretive dance. And then she has a meltdown with her, uh, in front of her mom about, um, Stephanie's death. And she's like, she was going to take me into town to get my hair done. That is a tragedy, you know? that she has no ride to town now to get her hair done. I also love some of the scenes where somebody will be like, what's wrong with you? Or, you know, what's eating you? And it's right after there's like two or three girls murdered in this house. 
I guess nobody ever really, um, you know, it's, it's weird because you'll have these characters say something like, you know, don't you even care, you know, that so-and-so is dead. Uh, but then the exact same character is seen like just jumping on a trampoline without a care in the world. And so I always thought that was kind of funny. They're um, kind of interesting displays of grief going on in this house. But, uh, yeah, I, I absolutely think it is a hilarious film. There's a lot of fun to be had, um, even if that Boeing is used a lot. I'm very, <laughs> I'm very curious to hear your guys' thoughts. So, Joseph, what are your thoughts on Fatal Pulse? Yes, Fatal Pulse. My God. I hadn't seen this since we were roommates, Nathan. And the first thing that caught my eye watching the print on YouTube was that MGM owns the rights to this. So we'll never get to do a physical media commentary or at least a complete one. That's okay. You know, that may or may not, that may or not, may not be a bad thing, you know, depending. Oh no, um, we'll but, end up doing one. Oh gosh. <laughs> oh God. Uh, also, of course, you have that theme music that you were talking about, Nathan, over the opening credits that plays for so long that it actually browbeats its way into that opening murder scene. You know, and that's the least of the, the, the opening scene's problems, as you have a victim who literally dog walks up a flight of stairs away from the killer with all the urgency of, like, a slinky in reverse. Uh, but, you know, that's nothing. That That is nothing, because this chick's death, uh, her death scene kind of intersects with the lead dude, Jeff, who we've talked about, and he is just the worst actor of all time. And I'm serious. He's so universally bland and devoid of anything remotely resembling the smallest molecule of talent that it becomes like an art form in and of itself, watching him jump from one kind of emotion to the next and his character. He's such a sad sack with the shittiest taste in friends probably ever. I mean, he pines for this chick named Lisa who for a split second, she'll be happy. And then without any warning whatsoever, you know, here come the waterworks. And we often don't really know why, and of his two best friends, you know, one is this hoodlum named Brad, who um, who's basically fingered Jeff Uhr as mm -hmm. the murderer based on, you know, really flimsy circumstantial evidence. And now he hates Jeff and seems hell bent on getting him arrested or killed or both. Um, the other is the useless stoner named Mark, who go ahead, Eric, do it. Yes, the useless stoner named Mark, um, you know, like I... <laughs> He gets his own boing sound effect every single time he appears on screen, and I'm not exaggerating. Um, Jeff's mentor and confidant is this weirdo science teacher who's dying of cancer, and um, spoiler alert, is also the killer. So yeah, Jeff, I mean, he's just a walking shit magnet all around. I mean, you could also do an entire dissertation on some of the characters here. The um, aforementioned Brad, he out seagulls, flock of seagulls in the hair don't department. I love his hair. It's like this, I don't know, it's like a mullet with like just volume. Oh my God. And I had mentioned earlier in the week on my personal Facebook account that, you know, an errant flame would obliterate the entire cast. There's that much hairspray involved here. There's also some rather curious uh, kind of walk-on characters. First of all, the, um, the entire roster of victims are these kind of bleach blonde bimbo types. So they all kind of resemble one another. But um, right smack dab in the middle of the movie, there's this really cute black chick who gets a line or two. And she's focused on like she's been there the entire time, even though we've never seen her before. 
And, you know, I'm thinking, okay, you know, at least I can tell some of these girls apart now. But no, she disappears and we never see her again. She doesn't even get a death scene. It's just so weird. Like, it's just so weird. There's also these two Keystone cops near the beginning and their names were Dick and Jack. Not sure if any of you guys caught that. I didn't catch that, no. But, um, yeah, the best character, though, has to be Ernie, the resident red herring, played by Joe Estevez. And we know he's not the killer because they never are. But what we do learn about him is that he was most likely in Vietnam because we get this one scene where he's gurning in front of an American flag and he's caressing a G.I. Joe doll. <laughs> and they've, like, foleyed in the absolute worst war sound effects to showcase, like, his fractured state of mind i'm laughing thinking about it i mean it's just this cacophony of phony sounding screams and explosions and you know joe is just praying he gets invited to the sheen dynasty for christmas this year and it's just so fucking funny and to top that off we learn um ernie inherited the sorority house from his mother so the sorority sisters they um you know they have a leering joe estevez as their house mother and I, I think they really should put that on a college application as a warning. I mean, the whole movie is just so hilarious. It's so bad and so incompetent on every single level. The editing is really slipshod. You'll have Jeff and Lisa arguing and not resolving any of their issues. And then the next scene, they're they're kind of like lovingly riding around on 10 speeders, like they're in a double mint gum commercial. Um, the slasher stuff, it, you know, it fails on every level as well. Let's be honest. N- no one shows the slightest bit of concern when they're being chased or attacked by the killer. And there are there is some variety in the murders, but it's always the same kind of setup. We see the killer's black gloves kind of hovering in front of the camera. Um, and they'll try to choose a weapon while the victim just stands there. So it's obviously more humorous than thrilling. And, you know, you're likely to spot the identity of the killer from the off. And uh, the motive makes about as much sense as the rest of the movie. I mean, it's just so inept through and through, but damn it, Nathan, I loved every last second of it, and I'm now on Team Fatal Pulse. I'm on Team Fatal Pulse now. I can't recommend it for the slasher stuff, like, at all, but the bad movie stuff, you know, absolutely. I mean, if you like bad movies, and I mean really, truly like them, there's no way Fatal Pulse won't entertain in some fashion. You know, I can easily see this sitting on a kind of a dedicated shelf with the likes of Nailgun Massacre and Boarding House or probably something like Pieces. You know, as both films, they 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 have some technical merit here and there, but they're just so laughably obtuse. So I think they'd pair well together. But um, yeah, I loved it, Nathan, so much so that, you know, I still have additional talking points, but I've rambled enough. So let's move on to the next guy in line. I am super excited. I did not expect that. Um, so, what do you think about the film, Justin? Well, <laughs> I've got um, a little bit of trivia before I get into my thoughts about the, the record kill. Um, because did you know that it was actually a Toya record they used? Uh, originally, they were going to make her listen to it, uh, but decided to go for a slightly less uh, painful death. Get my ass, cunt. <laughs> <laughs> I have mixed feelings about this movie. Because, um, I mean, one, actually, I have next to me, I have the, uh, when I when I moved to Lanzarote, I got rid of most of, well, I sold off most of my VHS collections, sadly, because I, you know, I just thought I couldn't justify the expense of bringing it over. But I did keep five video cassettes, and one of them is for Fatal Pulse. Uh, and it's the uh, the Roadshow Home Video, the Australian release, which on the back it says, um, not, uh, absolutely not available in Queensland. 
so lucky Queensland. But um, but it has the the reason I kept it partly was I, for Hysteria Lives. I used the the image that was on there, which is a fantastic eighties painted image of a blonde a blonde woman um, pleadingly looking out with a, with a black leather glove over her mouth. Uh, which I kind of thought kind of summed up 80 slasher movies kind of perfectly. So I did use that for a number of years. So that's part of the reason why I kept it. So re-watching it, I, this is a fil- film that I did review on Hysteria Lives. And uh, so I went back and looked at my review. And to be honest, I think I, um, for, not for once, but sometimes my my take on movies has changed over the years because say some of the, some of the original reviews are over 25 years old. So, but with this, I kind of largely agree with what I did whenever I reviewed this is that it has some awesomely cheesy moments in them, and some of them I'm going to recount, uh, some of my favourites here now. But I have a big problem with this movie. So some of the, the cheesier things I, I really liked, I love the the opening kill with, I think it's Stephanie, the character, who's got the big hair, and um, she kind of runs away from a killer in pink high heels, which I thought was a, a nice touch and an incredibly impractical um, uh, way of running away from a killer. Uh, the... Um, the, my other favourite scenes in this was we talked about Brad with the with the unlikely mullet, uh, and my favourite uh, scene with his is when he trashes the library, but he does it in the same way as the kid does in Don't Panic when he trashes his bedroom. He kind of just knocks over a couple of books on a table, and all these girls look at him like he's a right twat. So um, I, that that made me laugh. I also loved the, the scene with the trampoline, the girl on the trampoline, and the one where the uh, girls t- asking her friend to get out of the bathroom. And then she comes out of the bathroom, or one of them comes out, and she's got the biggest hair I think I've ever seen in a slasher movie. So um, there's some great kind of sub-porno performances in this, um, and we'll probably find out why that is a little bit later when we get into some background. But uh, So there is some fantastic line readings and some real trash, bad movie magic going on in this movie. Uh, As... Joseph said the the lead um, character Jeff the the, the person who's playing him I don't know <laughs> what he's on because he starts the movie it's weird because by the end of the movie he's actually emoting and crying and looking like he's actually into it but at the beginning of the he's movie he's just the worst Justin he's the worst I know, but I t- I t- as I mentioned in private message that he was in seventy two movies um, he Ow. acted in seventy four seventy four movies actually before his death in two thousand and seventeen. <laughs> So um, I haven't seen any of the others, I don't think. But yeah, he starts with like, the, it's just the most wooden performance ever. So anything that happens in it, he's just kind of absolutely no facial um, yeah, he, muscles He's so bad, twitch. he makes the dude from Terror at 10 Killer look good. Yeah, but the weird thing is, by the end of the movie, he's crying and emoting and gnashing his teeth. So what? what I don't know what was going on. He must have been taking horse tranquilizers or something at the start of the movie. But um, I also, that, it's got those things, which I love that kind of, those kind of bizarre moments in 80s slasher movies, so especially later 80s slasher movies, where, as you say, the, so they've obviously missed out scenes or they haven't been able to film them or they just don't really understand how to cut a movie together. But the scene you mentioned um, when the um, uh, Jeff and uh, Lisa, his, his on-off girlfriend, go for that bike ride around campus after having a big argument. And they have this, and it's to this kind of bizarre sub-Whitney Houston uh, ballad, and they're holding hands and cycling around as if it's this big romantic number. And it's just so out of place. And it's literally the day after another sorority sister has been uh, uh, sort of brutally butchered, uh, which makes it even more incongruous. So so stuff like that is, is great because... 
you know, if you're uh, unlike us, if you, I know there's a subset of people who aren't the people who review movies on IMDb and go, this is the worst movie I've ever seen. When you actually enjoy and get get fun out of bad movie sort of excesses of bad acting, big hair and all that kind of thing, those are the kind of things that can help make a movie and help, you know, uh, you, you get fun out of it. Um, and we're not watching these movies like normal people watch movies for thrills and, you know, suspense necessarily. Um, but this is where my problem comes in is the is that the film unlike pieces and unlike the other movies you mentioned about the pantheon of kind of bad movie classics um this film has a bit of a kind of mean-spirited streak to it which i kind of has a it's almost like a roughy which if you don't know what a roughy is a roughy was kind of movies made in very low budget movies made in 50s and 60s where um kind of sexploitation where kind of women were roughed up kind of beaten up and then have sex or whatever kind of i think like doris doris wishman made quite a few of them i think if i'm remembering correctly so it's not necessarily um, a genre that I've ever been particularly invested in and so this has that kind of feeling of that like every every woman gets topless which you know it's not a bad thing nudity in slasher movies goes hand in hand with violence but it's all done in slight there's a kind of mean-spiritedness which undercuts that kind of cheesy fun for me um, so that's why I can't really get fully behind Fatal Pulse um, I think if it was sillier and it didn't have that kind of mean-spirited streak to it, I think I would enjoy it a lot more than I do. I kind of enjoy the first half of the movie, and then the second half becomes a little bit of a chore for me. So, um, yeah, so that's where I'm, where I'm uh, Nathan. I'm afraid I haven't really changed my mind on this. So um, fun to be had there, but, yeah, not for me. Well, before you move to Eric, I see what Justin's talking about with the, the constant nudity. Like, they make sure all the victims disrobe before they die. But I think if you couple that in context with the really wacky stuff, it just it gives that kind of aura to it. Maybe that I don't know. Maybe I saw that and you didn't. I don't know. So I didn't really find it as mean spirited as you did. Okay. Well, it'd be interesting to see what Eric's take is. On oh yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I didn't think it was mean spirited at all, but I did think it was rather boring. Now, well, for starters, I I had to laugh at the great entertainment group presents. Uh, credit that is the first thing that appears on screen um because i can think of two things wrong with that sentence um i liked the opening music i thought it was really bombastic and sounded like it was for a lifestyle television show um rather than a horror slash suspense slash thriller movie um the acting as you said uh, when that first those first two characters appear on screen sort of emoting to each other in, in this kind of monotone way I thought oh my god this is Terror at Ten Killer Part 2 and that's kind of how the the film panned out for me it just felt very much akin to Terror at Ten Killer which I'm not a huge fan of either I mean I there are moments in both films that are kind of fun um, I mean the, the sort of some of the acting I suppose the big hair all that type of stuff but it's not enough to carry the bulk of 90 minutes I'm afraid um I thought Brad uh, you were saying that the, with the mullet and that I thought he reminded me of Nick from Family Ties which was sort of this least threatening sort of biker guy you could ever imagine like Justin I had to laugh at his uh, trashing of the library where he just knocks over a, a, somebody's in tray and then says what are you looking at to the people and um, that's as tough as he gets and um, the love triangle between um, Brad Lisa and Jeff reminded me kind of of the room in the way that there was lots of oh I love you Lisa 
and Jeff, why are you doing this to me? We're finished. And it just seemed to go on and on throughout the movie. And it just, it felt very much like padding, I thought. Um, the aerobic scene with Carol did liven things up. She's full on sort of sweatbands and leg warmers. And she's, you know, bouncing up and down on that trampoline. She's begging to get into the bathroom so she can do her hair. Although her hair looks perfect to me. It's just so big. Um, and I like that she gets an ironic freddy style death i suppose because you can imagine because she's uh in a band she says she's going to rehearse with her band and she's going to win a grammy apparently um and she gets killed with the vinyl record which is a Susie record because they thought it would be less painful for her to slit their throat than make her listen to Susie. boing 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 <laughs> yeah I, I didn't have the sound effect so hmm. uh, i thought joe estevez was better than the the rest of the cast. I mean, he obviously has some kind of acting pedigree behind him. I mean, he's still not brilliant. I did like this, as you said, the scene with the Nam flashback where we don't actually see the flashbacks, we just hear it. And it just the camera lingers on him for an awfully long time. Um, I love the Boeing sound effect, as you can tell. Um, it didn't bother me that it appeared on the soundtrack, you know, 50 times throughout its running time. It, it kind of reminded me of the comedy Policemen in um, Halloween 5. Uh, there must have been something in the water around these this time because that was sort of late 80s as well. Um, I did appreciate that it was kind of a whodunit. You know, there was a killer with black gloves uh, and, you know, we, we sort of are clued in early on that the, the one of the victims says, oh, it's you. So it's somebody we know. It's one of the main cast. But even I managed to guess who the killer was and that's saying something. Um so it it obviously wasn't a terribly uh, intricate or complex mystery, I'm afraid. Uh, um, one of the big problems for me, possibly with not enjoying this film that much, is because, uh, I know Joseph will disagree with this, but I find it very difficult in this day and age to watch a VHS print of, of a film. Uh, I'm kind of spoiled now. You know, it's 25 years since I bought my first DVD and... You know, I, I just find it difficult to go back and watching a washed out, blurred print where the sound is a bit muffled. It just doesn't engage me. Even if I was watching like something I love, like Alien or The Exorcist or Halloween or Friday the 13th, I, I just find VHS prints just make me want to reach for the phone or look check my email. It, they just don't uh, grab my attention in the same way. So maybe if a deluxe 4K edition of Fatal Pulse came out, I might change my mind. But what I found with it was that I was kind of with it for maybe 10, 15 minutes, and then my mind just really began to wander because, you know, with horror films, uh, it relies a lot on scenes set in the dark. And when you put that into a VHS copy it, it can look very murky and you can't really tell what's going on and uh, yeah so it just didn't hold my attention at all I'm afraid apart from a, a few moments you know when somebody with big hair appeared on the screen suddenly I was like oh that's really funny um, and I did like um, when as you said when Mark gets uh, beaten up in the car park and Jeff just runs off and leaves him I thought that was good fun too but uh, I'm afraid, Nathan, I just thought the film was a bit boring. I didn't find it mean-spirited like Justin, and I didn't find it bad enough to be entertaining like Justin, uh, Joseph did. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely not the worst film we've ever covered. Definitely not by, by a million miles. We've done plenty worse than this, but uh, I don't think I'd be rushing back. I would possibly watch it again, as I said, if it came out on a Blu-ray. But uh, not on v not on the VHS print. No. Well, Eric, um, you, 
this is kind of disappointing. I think you might have liked it a little more. There is a copy on YouTube that it's at least DVD quality. It's a lot crisper. Oh. Um, it's it's a little flattened, like someone squeezed the, the picture, but it's very watchable. All right. Oh, that's. Um, I don't. I don't know if you want to go back and watch it again, mm. but um, it I is. There. I think it's going to take it's more a than lot that. Better. It's going to take more than that. But um, yeah. so so essentially, we're going to split down the middle on this one, aren't yeah. we? Like Eric on a Saturday night. <gasps> Rude. <laughs> well, not that split. Yeah. Not that split. See, I, I can kind of understand, you know, the, uh, you know, just in your comments on, you know, so, like some of the later uh, slashers bit having kind of a mean streak to them. I think the reason I didn't so much with this one is I just found it, I guess, kind of silly. Like, say, the opening death, for example, when she's trying to run away and she shuts the door and the killer his hand is grabbing her through the door and just happens to unhook her bra. It's just the dumbest thing. I've just seen that, that, uh, yeah, it's got, um, Spanish subtitles or Portuguese subtitles or something on it. Yeah, it actually, it's, it is much crisper than the one I watched. So maybe that would have swayed my opinion if I'd seen it. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I kind of expected Justin's opinion. I, I figured that's how he would feel about it. Um, Eric, I actually thought you would like this a lot more, especially with all the big hair. Um, I did. I love the big hair and I love the boing. And I love that I I guess the killer. But we know why you like the boing. (laughs) Stop it. You're being childish. Eric, you were talking about uh, Joe Estevez and how he's gurning in front of that American flag. There's a lot of gurning in this movie. When the girl's doing the ballet dancing, she kind of gurns a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then the science teacher, um, when we pretty much realize he is the killer... They focus on him forever, and he gurns and gurns. And it's funny because the soundtrack, it sounds like someone's hitting like a big anvil with a sledgehammer. It's like, pang, pang, and it does it like 600 times. (laughs) Did you guys get Uh, uh, Giallo vibes from the Black Glove Killer and some of the shots in the film? Well, from the Black Glove Killer I did, but don't know about anything else. It kind of felt like um, more of the later Jally to me, something like You'll Die at Midnight because it was so wacky in that, yeah. that respect. But You'll Die at um, Midnight didn't have a boing. Every no, fi- every not. film should have a boing. No, but I did want to mention one, uh, one more scene and then we can move on. It was the skateboarding girl scene, which was very pieces in a way, but I love oh, how yes. she just kind of accidentally bumps into the killer and she obviously recognizes him. So she's like, oh, I'm sorry. And she walks away, or she skates away, fine and dandy. She's okay. She doesn't suspect this guy as being a killer. But then she just inexplicably throws her skateboard, runs for the Dickens to some abandoned house and hides. And she had she had no reason to know she was in danger. And I don't think the killer had any you know inkling of where she went because she just darted out of there so fast. The editing in this scene is so weird. It's like... She she reacted like ten minutes later. I don't get it. Yeah, I think I think it doesn't show like obviously the killer. Or it doesn't show him brandishing a weapon. But that's the the vibe I got was that they pulled out a knife or something, and she was like, <gasps> but it doesn't explain why in broad daylight she decides to run to a really dark abandoned house. Yeah, and why she ditch her skateboard? Justin was your favorite uh, actress in the film, Stephanie. Step what in the the beginning. Yeah, because the character or the actress's name is Kitty. Yeah, I kind of wondered. Um, I couldn't dig up it. Well, it's a little bit difficult to um, to research Kitty, but I kind of um, uh, imagine. I wonder if she may have been um, done some more uh, adult fare at some point in her career. She did. She did. Ah, okay. Oh, she did. Well, should we go on some background? Mm-hmm. Sure. So, 
Well, Joseph, I mean, do you want to tell us about, about Kitty and her, her background? Well, I don't have a whole lot on that. Well, Nathan, do you have anything first? Uh, yeah, this was uh, Roxanne Kernahan's debut. Uh, and also Skylar Nicholas's debut and first nude scene. She filmed this first, but it wasn't released until after her second film, Cannibal Hookers, from 1987. That's it. Oh, I guess I guess it's up to me then. Um, in the States, it surprisingly seemed to have bypassed a cinema release and went straight to video via celebrity video. That's that video VHS you're talking about, Nathan. Um, which features the film's trailer twice. So you get to see that trailer twice or hear it. Um, it was released as Killer's Run in some European territories. Um, Alex Courtney, who played Professor Caldwell, he had a serious career in and out of TV shows and TV movies in the 70s and 80s, and I kept thinking he looked familiar to me, and then I realized he was the character of Fred in one of my favorite movies, Enter the Ninja. So that's kind of cool. Uh, you mentioned Roxanne Kernahan, who played Anne, and she was well on her way after Fatal Pulse into stardom, believe it or not, at least in sort of a kind of Brink Stevens variety. as She landed a lot of kind of B-movie junk roles and stuff like Critters 2, Not of This Earth, uh, Angel 3, the final chapter. And then she got a, a fairly big, well, she didn't get a big role, but she got cast with Sly Stallone and Kurt Russell and Tango and Cash in a minor role. So she was kind of... Working steadily, but then she unfortunately passed away at the age of 32 due to a car accident. Um, Harvey Cowan, who played Detective Jack or Dick, I can't remember which one. Either would be fitting for this guy because his more prominent stage name was Herschel Savage. Um, star of such exclusive titles like This Little Piggy Went to Porno, The Blowjob Adventures of Dr. Fellatio 20, White Trash Whore 11 and 12 because 11 ended on a cliffhanger, uh, Hooter Castle, and Blue Ribbon Buttfucks Three. <laughs> so, do you think he, he had a very? Do you think he had a illustrious career? He did. I, I thought his. I did like his hair because it, you know whenever you see someone who's got that kind of grey hair, you know it's not really grey hair. Mm-hmm. They just put something like I don't know some like silver silver powder on their hair to make it look like they're, they're prematurely grey. Yeah, uh, but, and this is more of a theory that it is that it is fact though there are some nuggets of truth here, I highly suspect Fatal Pulse was most likely financed with money from the porn industry, um, you know, taking the actors and producers involved into account. I mean, you have Kitty, who did go on to do porn films. Herschel Savage, uh, one of the producers, had produced a lot of pornography in, in around this time. And, it, you know, it wasn't really very uncommon for a lot of the bigger distributors like uh, Vivid uh, to attempt to break in of the mainstream market. And they typically do that with like these C-grade Showtime thrillers, usually starring their roster of actors under pseudonyms. And, you know, Fatal Pulse more or less fits the mold. Basically, these people took advantage of the boom in adult VHS sales at the time and made these real cheap, uh, but quote-unquote real movies and stocked them with actors who were kind of used to making $100 a day. So, you know, they didn't demand much in the way of the budget there. And then you throw in a couple of fringe mainstream actors like Joe Estevez and Alex Courtney to give it some reputable kind of uh, uh, cachet to it. And bam, I mean, does that sound familiar? Does that, that sounds just like Fatal Pulse. So it's a theory, but, you know, with all the pedigree involved, it's uh, it's very possible. And that's really all I was able to dig up on Fatal Pulse as well. It's not much out there on it. no. So, Eric, what have you got for us? Everything that just Joseph said I'd written down. Uh, so. that, old, that old excuse, eh? <laughs> that old chestnut. Yeah. 
So no- nothing. Um, I offer you this. Uh-huh. That's my background. Okay. Well, I only have a couple of things to add because, like uh, Joe said, there's not a great deal out there. I found a copyright um, uh, entry for this. So the alternative title was Coed Killer. Because um, I know what is a fatal pulse anyway. Well, the killer had cancer. I guess his pulse was fatal now, uh, okay. so maybe that's well, that, what they mean. That kind of makes sense, I kind of guess. Um, as I mentioned, uh, Ken Roberts, who played Jeff, uh, was an actor in 74 movies. So, um, well, there you go. So uh, it was written by James Hundhausen, who was the boom operator on a number of movies, including uh, The Bear Wench Project 2, Scared Topless. Ah. Oh. I love that movie so much. Yeah, so he was a sound operator on that, but I imagine that also means boom operator. So I don't, you know, many um, boom operators become screenwriters, but uh, um, certainly uh, James Hundhausen did. Um, Michelle McCormack uh, was a uh, black belt in karate, which in some ways is strange that uh, they didn't use... Why uh, in the world would they not use that skill in the film? That'd be great. It's like a graduation day. Exactly. I didn't understand why they didn't do that. But um, yeah, so she was... I found an article uh, on newspaper.com talking about uh, sort of um, American uh, female athletes and what what they did after their careers or, you know, as side projects. And that just mentioned that in passing, that she'd just done Fatal Pulse. Uh, and the last bit I have, um, there was an article on uh, Joe Felon, who was uh, uh, went started presumably back then went by that name rather than the Estevez name to to uh, not be associated, maybe to strike out on his own. Uh, so he was forty one years old when he made this, and uh, it says that um, the article was talking about this film. It just mentioned this film in passing and talking about another couple of films he made around the time. But they described um, Fatal Pulse as, uh, wait for it, uh, a Hitchcockian thriller. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I don't know mm. that I would say it was Hitchcockian, but... Well, you got the wrong man accused. You've got, um, <laughs> you, you got it all. you got the shower scenes. you got bathtubs. I don't know. Well, Ken Roberts... It's so, very Hitchcockian. Well, Ken Roberts <laughs> was uh, clearly uh, the, the new um, Cary Grant, I would think. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we're going to say this is Hitchcockian, then I'm going to say Blood Cult is also Hitchcockian because it's got a shower scene. <laughs> yes, but I think it was... Hitchcockian, all right. <laughs> I think that was kind of some puff piece that was um, some um, publicist uh, was trying to come up with ways that uh, to make people watch the movie. So so that was Fatal Pulse. But um, what, were the, what was the uh, consensus on the group on this? Uh... Well... It's a uh, it's quality versus quantity with the feedback for Fatal Pulse, where the opposite is definitely true there. Uh, so we only had six comments for this, but Lou Toad wonders. I have watched this movie about four times now. It is mind-boggling. I can't decide if it's awful or brilliant or both. You guys have stumbled upon a movie from the late '80s, VHS era, with the room-level mounts of WTF. What is this movie? Indeed, Lou Toad. And Sean Guerrero says, On paper, the film is quite strong, easily marketable and sellable with its brutal violence being doled out by a black glove killer and a, here we go, guys, a Hitchcockian plot point of a wrongly accused man. Wow. 
On screen, however, the whole thing falls apart as Fatal Pulse lacks the discipline and polishing to make it something truly great. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date on all that we're doing. Listen on Amazon, Apple, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube, and about a billion other podcatchers, both good and terrible. Join us on Patreon for as little as a dollar per month to help support the show. Or if you're financially inclined to do so, select a tier that fits your budget for that extra monthly bonus content. And we got a lot of it, guys, so go sign up. That's patreon.com forward slash the hysteria continues, all one word. And that's the same for our email address. The hysteria continues at gmail.com. Mr. Kurzweil, if you please. Yes. Well, we will be um, recording commentary soon for Hell Night uh, from 1981, which we're very much looking forward to. And we just, um, last month, uh, the commentary we do was for Curtains, the 1983 slash movie of Leslie Donaldson, which was, uh, again, a lot of fun, although <laughs> not for not for Joseph, for editing. It was one of our... I'm never, <laughs> never watching Curtains ever again. I'm serious. I'm, I'm, I'm done with Curtains. I love that movie, but that's it. No more. Yeah. Well, we had a, we had a few Skype, uh, well, Skype-esque issues, didn't we, with that uh, commentary, I think, which didn't help. So, but yes, uh, lots to do. And we just done the Dorm Slashers quiz, which uh, was a real nail-biter, wasn't it, at the end, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. So, yes. Um, it was razor wire close, that one. Yes, it was. So, well, let's talking about on point. Uh, let's see if Eric's joke of the week is uh, gonna is it gonna be is gonna give us a a cutthroat or a a belly laugh. Let's find out. It's my joke of the week. It's so so fantastic. Why was the killer so proud of the way he killed Carol with that tribal African music album? Because it was a world record. Oh. It was a world record. Because it was world music. Because it was tri- just play the Boeing sound effect and music. I haven't got the Boeing sound, but this will have to do. <laughs> he played it at the same time, so we get the best of both worlds. <laughs> well, let's move on to some. Um, let's uh, draw a discreet veil over that one, shall we? And move on to some feedback. Yes, and we all have feedback. Oh my god! Yeah, who would like to go first? Okay, I'll go first. This is from Chris in Port Hope, Ontario in Canada. And he says, happy 300th, which uh, this is 299, is it? Yes. It is, but we're coming up to the big 300. Yeah. My earliest memory of listening to my favorite podcast goes back to January 2012. My hour-long commute out of Toronto became an epic quest for survival when an accident closed the highway during a massive blizzard, forcing traffic onto side roads. I listened to eight hours of the hysteria continues that fateful night, eventually catching up on the feed. I'm continually grateful for all the entertaining and informative content you provide, whether it's on Patreon or your excellent physical media commentaries, of which I'll never forget picking up a copy of Shallow Grave at Bay Street Video in Toronto and flipping it over to see that the hysteria continues provided the commentary. Hey, I know them. On the eve of yet another year, I wish you all the best in 2024. And that's from Chris in Port Hope, Ontario, Canada. And he says, P.S. I can proudly say that I stock the Teenage Slasher movie book at my bookstore, which is Furby House Books in uh, Port Hope. Uh, many horror fans... Pr- many horror fans... F- sorry, just just say that. Sorry, Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> many horror fans... Fa- <sighs> I'll get there. I'll get there. there. 
Have you got, so, have you got something in your mouth, there, Eric? Eric? No, it's just I'm, I'm question. I'm just wondering about the the grammar in this. What I'm about to say, and that's throwing me off. Okay, so I'll just read it as it's printed. Many horror fans pilgrimage to my town to see where they film the latest It films and the upcoming Welcome to Derry series for HBO. Stephen King and Justin Kurzweil side by side at last. So there you are, Justin. Stocked in Furby House Books in Port Hope in Ontario and Canada where they're filming uh, Welcome to Derry, which I hadn't heard about. It's a prequel, isn't it, to It? Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. So, well, thank you, uh, Chris, and uh, what an honour to be, I'm sure that'll be the only time, uh, time I'll ever be next to Stephen King. But, uh, yeah, well, I'm, you know, isn't that great? So we prefer providing entertainment even when people are caught in snowdrifts. Yes. So uh, That's, I, I'm pretty sure, reading between the lines, I think he was particularly talking about my jokes of the week. <laughs> could, could you imagine... It's kind of I, I just I always think of the worst thing. Could you imagine like a sore esque thing where you were, you I th- I'm sure I've made this joke before, but not a joke. But you had locked in syndrome, and you had Eric's joke on the week in um, an endless cycle, <gasps> the horror. So I'm just imagining poor Chris in a snowdrift listening to Eric's joke of the week on loop on a loop. Yeah, he'd be honoured. Well, possibly he still wrote in. So thank you, Chris, for your perseverance. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you've uh, been listening. So 11 years, 11, 12 years even. So excellent. So who would like to go next? I will go next. Yes. Okay. This says, greetings from New Jersey. I've been listening to your podcast for about five years now, and your show still holds up after all this time. I appreciate the witty banter and back and forth amongst the four of you. Here are a few movies I'd love for you to watch and review. Mountaintop Motel Massacre, a hidden uh, drive-in gem from the early 80s. The film has a very strange vibe and aesthetic to it. Lots of local actors from Louisiana make it an interesting regional film. Blood Salvage, a strange film starring John Saxon about a deranged mechanic who kills people and sells their parts on the black market. Also, for some reason, has a cameo from Evander Holyfield, a famous boxer in the 80s and 90s. More famous as the man who Mike Tyson bit part of his ear off. That's all for now. Thanks for helping me get through this last year as I will be a first-time father in a week and a half. Congratulations. By the time you read this, I'll already be a new dad to a baby girl. We were thinking of naming her Toya, but my wife wouldn't have any of it. (gasps) Cheers to all of you and hope you have a happy and healthy new year. And that's from Brian Siegel. Hey, well, thank you, Brian. And congratulations. And uh, you know, let us know mm-hmm. what you, if you named her Susie or Erica. <laughs> Don't name her Susie. <laughs> or Inga. Can you imagine? That, that wouldn't be a good, that wouldn't be a good start, would it? Or Daniela. Daniela. There you go. First words out of the baby's mouth when she comes out of the <laughs> womb is, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Oh, blimey. Okay, so um, shall I go next? Sure. Okay, uh, greetings, gents. This email has been a long time coming. Oh, Eric, in, uh, in inverted commas. I discovered the podcast around 2020 during the pandemic. If memory serves me right, you guys were listed on the list of best podcasts to listen to. I don't even think it was a list of horror film podcasts. I think it was just a podcast for cinephiles. At the time, I was into horror films, but I never listened. Sorry, never listed the genre as one of my favourites and was a lot more selective about the horror I watched. Right off the bat, I fell in love with Happy Birthday to Me and devoured every single episode of the show in order and watched the films I hadn't seen before listening to their respective episodes. So yes, doing it the right way. I discovered uh, Treasure Trover films and embraced 70s and 80s horror in full. 
He explored Jali further than I ever had before and started to fall in love with trauma release films. Well, at least someone has, I guess. Um, while I would love to see the cat flushing a toilet quizzes, Inga, Clackla Classic, the occasional drunk cast episode, singing jingles to segments. My personal favourite was the after the credits jingle and Amanda Reyes appearing on occasional return. I still appreciate twice a month getting an educational slasher films and charisma-filled conversations between four friends who haven't lost a bit of their charm since 2011. I won't try to pretend and type up some cliche about how, I got, how you guys got me through the pandemic or saved my life, but I will say you gents have provided me hours and hours of entertainment that's gotten me through workdays, workouts, and have given me great insight into films I've watched, oftentimes being uh, better than any commentary track. And for that, I had to write in and express my deep gratitude for you guys and the show, which is something I always look forward to. A special shout out is in order is order for Mr. Nathan Johnson and his world famous Nathan Picks. If it wasn't for his championing of some of these titles as Splatter You, Tear at Ten Killer, who would have thought this would get a 4K Blu-ray release, Blood Lake, Blood Hook, Nailgun Massacre and so many more, I would not have been able to see them. Um... So I would not have been able to see the, the many good qualities that these films have and have just written them off as many others have throughout time. I look forward to discovering more of your content with time. As, as of yet, I have not dabbled in any of the Patreon content and not listened to as many THC commentaries as I would have liked to by now. With it being Christmas time, I've gone back and listened to many of the classic Christmas slasher episodes after watching the films again, both uh, 1974 and 2006's Black Christmas, Christmas Evil, and Silent Night, Deadly Night. It's been a delight going back to these episodes and getting more than my fair share of emptying Santa's sack jokes. And see, we, we keep on those, so it's uh, nothing nothing new under the sun. It reminded me of reminded me why you guys mean so much to me and what this podcast has meant to me over the last three years. Many thanks to you, Justin, Joseph, Nathan, and I guess Eric. Um, <gasps> that, that is written there. You can check that, Eric. Um Keep up the terrific work, gents, and know that it is greatly appreciated and meaningful. With love, Sean Guillermo. So thank you, Sean. So um, I'm glad, you know, it's, it's really nice to hear from people, um, you know, that the show does bring them um, uh, entertainment, even apart from Eric's Joke of the Week, of course. But it's... <laughs> <laughs> it is, uh, I don't know. <laughs> After this episode, we may lose all of them. We might too. But uh, yeah, well, thank you. And um, yeah, do dip into the Patreon. There's, there's lots on there. And we'd love you to check out some of that because uh, we have a lot of fun with that and hope you will do too. So yeah. Commentaries, quizzes, um, Fango flashbacks. I mean, we do everything. And more Nathan picks. Hey, speaking of 2006's Black Christmas, do you guys know what the best character in that movie is? The pan. Yes. <laughs> it's amazing. How come uh, I can't find that pen anywhere? That stinks. They should sell it. Mm. You should get a job being a marketing person for Bic. Yeah. Yeah. I could do that. Well, we got one more here. Excellent. And uh, this one says, first time writer inner. Okay. Uh, but have listened to your show since discovering it in 2015 and have devoured every last second of your excellent slasher analysis, all of your Patreon content, all of your physical media appearances, bar Savage Water and Berserker, which keep eluding me, more so Savage Water, as I actually got the release of Berserker with Joseph and Justin's commentary, but the disc is defective and for whatever reason, I never got around to replacing it, but I will as I need to hear that commentary soon. 
But that brings me to one of the big reasons I am writing in. Where can I find that Savage Water commentary? Exclamation point, question mark, and it goes on. I actually bought the re-release of Death by Invitation with Dungeon of Harrow so I could listen to that commentary. But the only place you can find Savage Water is for obscene amounts of money on eBay. I may have to. Anyway, love you guys to death. Sorry I haven't written in sooner, but most of my time has been spent listening to you guys, as you can tell. Keep being the best of the best, and that's from Jaron. Are you related to, are you Jaron Ennis? I don't know, but um, thank you, Jaron. The Savage Water thing, I, that's probably the only place you're going to find it is on eBay. They discontinued it uh, because the director, I think he wanted to release something different so they they put the kibosh on that release. So if you can find a copy, hold on to it. He never did release penny. anything, did he? No, no, nope. no, he didn't. I don't the think. Shame because yeah, I mean it ended up never happening, and it's been mm-hmm. what like ten years later. Yeah, but what's yeah, the, the 2013? Yeah, the when we plug did that was commentary. the plug was pulled before it was released. I mean, there are pre-release copies out in the wild, and we no, all have no. They released that. They released that, and then they had to stop selling it. That's oh, what Ryan okay. told me. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'd just like to uh, apologize uh, for our Death by Invitation commentary. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I apologize for that one, too. Yeah, Tim Lucas had no kind things to say about that commentary in Video Watchdog. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Yeah. But uh, again, thank you, Jaron, for writing in. Yeah, thank you. And for thank the first you, time. Thank you for everyone writing in. And it's still time to uh, write in ahead. Uh, will this come out before we record the 300th show? Uh, we record the three. Yeah, it'll be out the day of we record the 300th show. Ah, so, um, I'm not sure. Well, I was going to say if you, um, well, do write in anyway, because even if, even if you read it out on the 300, 301st show, first month. Oh my God. Yeah. 300 first, of course. So excellent. So, um, anything else apart from, uh, I guess, um, as I mentioned, it is episode 300 coming up. So uh, obviously, been scratched. It's my choice, and been scratching my head trying to think of a film that is worthy of that momentous occasion, the thirteenth birthday and uh, episode three hundred. So we did kind of play around, thinking possibly we could do one of the big franchises that we haven't covered. Um, but actually, thought going back to the spirit of the hysteria continues uh is to go back to the the golden age of the slasher movies 1978 to 1984 and having a look at some of the slasher movies that we haven't yet covered so uh we're going with a, a film that is a kind of a bit of a mega mix of kind of as kind of very early 80s kind of sexy thriller teen comedy is it kind of teen comedy with lots of boobies which makes it sound like fatal pulse i'm not doing fatal pulse again but we are going to be covering um, the 1984 semi-slasher, but it's got quite a lot of slashing, certainly towards the end of it, is uh, they're playing with fire with Sybil Danning uh, in it. Um, is it directed by the director of um, Mortuary, isn't it? Howard? Howard Avidis. Avidis, yeah. He directed Mortuary, didn't he? Hey, and if the title is not catchy enough for you, we're spending episode 300 with Sybil Danning. I mean, you can't get any better than that. Exactly. So it seems it seemed like the perfect fit for a, a, a big birthday. Well, a, 13, a 13th birthday. In fact, actually, it's, it's us entering our teenage years, isn't it? Oh, yeah. If you thought Eric was stroppy now, just wait until you see the teenage years. Especially when he gets his own cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So, okay, and what are we playing out with? Of course, we're playing out with the music, aren't we, Nathan? So, earplugs at the ready. Okay, well, thank you for listening. Um, we'll catch you on the big 300. And, uh, yeah, I'll say goodbye to the good people. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.